0: I want us to, to enjoy Jesus, but also to to chillax a little. Sometimes I think when we get together, we 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 come in and it's the gathered church, and we get real stiff and we get real tight. And um, and Jesus had a sense of humor. I keep reminding of you of that because I want you to to be aware of it, right? Because I want to I want to break down this wall of secular and sacred. That's something I keep talking about to our church, that if it's not good on Sunday morning when we gather, it's not good on Tuesday evening when we're out and about, right? But if it's good, it's good on Sunday, it's good on Tuesday. Our whole lives are to be sacred, right? Why is that? Well, because we have freedom. We have freedom in the gospel. We have freedom from Satan, sin and death right because of what christ has done we have freedom to worship and to love god we have freedom to make all things that he says is good to enjoy with thanksgiving and to give him praise now now the world and even church culture will fight against that but i want you to know that as we continue through the book of galatians what you're going to see is this this book or this letter is all about the gospel right okay not surprised but the gospel is all about freedom And you're going to see that, you're going to see that, because freedom's a huge theme throughout the book of Galatians, okay? It it runs through the book of Galatians, and freedom's a precious thing, not just in the Bible, not just in the book of Galatians, but I think many Americans would be like, yeah, And, and we should say yeah, all right? I'm for that, I'm all for that, but we ought to be much more about the freedom that's found in the gospel, not the freedom that's found in a country, because that freedom is fragile. That freedom can be ripped away. This freedom cannot be. And so there's a big difference. Um, I don't know about you, but I love a good movie. Period. Particularly movies that involve... um, like war fighting for something that's much bigger than self right and if it involves freedom and love and all that it's like okay give me some popcorn give me some pizza give me some carbs let me get under a blanket I'm ready to watch this thing and so if if that's you then you've probably watched the movie Braveheart okay yeah First, then get that excited I want everybody to be like that when the gospel's presented like yeah Braveheart woo Right, um, but but listen, I love I love Braveheart. It, it's if if you're familiar with it, it's a story of a Scottish freedom fighter named William Wallace, right? And and he's fighting against England in the 13th century. And and this movie was epic for so many different reasons, right? Um, for instance, there's a beautiful love story in it, right? So for for the ladies or for the men who love love stories, that's in there, right? It has a great friendship in there, a couple of different friendships, actually. Amazing battles, hair-raising moments, right? About what? Freedom, dying, and more freedom. That's what the movie's about in a nutshell. And so here's, here's, a, here's a couple of my favorite quotes from that movie. He says, I, I, I'm, I'm like, should I read this in a Scottish accent? You want me to do that because you want to laugh at me. But he says, fight and you may die. Run and you will live at least for a while, and dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days, from this day to that, for one chance, just one chance to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. Yeah, Eli said, freedom, right? And it's, a, it's, a, it's an epic moment. He says, we'll all end up dead, is another quote. It's just a question of how and why. That's well. That's that's true, right? Lastly, he says, "Every man dies, but not every man truly lives." That, that's, I love that. That's awe-inspiring, right? When I hear that, that's awe-inspiring. Uh, how about more recent? Ronald Reagan said this. He said, "Freedom is a fragile thing and is never more than one generation away from extinction. It is not ours by inheritance. It must be fought for and defended constantly by each generation." For it comes once, only once to a people. Those who have known freedom and then have lost it have never known it again. Well, early on in my life, I want you to know, I learned that there are occasions when it's right and when it's wrong to fight. And I mean that, right? So like parents you got to talk to your kid and help them understand that. But there's times when it's fighting you, you must stand. You must stand your ground. My dad taught me that, right or wrong. But there's also times where you ought not fight, and that's generally the fights I found myself in, uh, unfortunately for me and for those who were in the, the wake of my path, right? Um, and at times, I was the one that got destroyed. But I chose to fight on many wrong occasions. And I'm sad to say that I got in fights for a lot of stupid reasons, but I got in some that were, were good. Christians do this too. We do. We, we fight for good reasons, and we fight for silly reasons. You'll know, see that, right? I've watched believers fight over all sorts of crazy things, right? Um, building decorations, right? How do you like our decoration? We have, if you've maybe never noticed it, but up top here, you'll notice that there's a uh, toilet paper um, box that was cut, laid out flat to cover up probably a gaping hole, <laughs> and... Um, and I thought, why did they do it that way? Probably because if they did it the other way, it would be brown cardboard, and they wanted to advertise Windsoft. Right? So, so I've seen people fight over church decorations. That's our decoration. So you're here. You don't care about church decorations, or you wouldn't be here. Or maybe it's your first time, and you'll never be back. Um, and I'm okay with that. I've heard people fight over types of worship music, sermon length, how to parent, homeschool, public school, this school, that school, on and on and on. And I've just seen Christians bicker at one another. However, on the other hand, I've seen Christians um, and, and just people in general be not willing to take a stand on anything. Because we live in a culture that's, that's very tolerant. Uh, we live in a cancel culture where we don't actually want to stand for anything, right? And, and so this produces kind of like a spiritual jellyfish, right, where you just kind of go with the flow of the current, whichever way it's going at that time. And, and I want you to know um, that type of community, that type of people, that type of thinking will never engage in discussions that actually matter and that they ought to. And so everybody's silenced, right? And and that, that ought not matter because there are things that are worth standing up, speaking out over, and defending. And if you think, all right, we're gonna finally get a message I can get down with, we're gonna get into politics, we're gonna get no, I'm saying gospel matters. Gospel matters. You know, one group fights over everything, one group won't fight over anything. And both are probably in error often. And so the biblical gospel of grace is a precious thing it really is it's, it's a beautiful thing and for that reason it all it's always going to be under attack it's always going to be under attack Paul knew this firsthand that's what we've been reading in the book of Galatians right this man was not fighting over some small details that were happening within the church he, he didn't do that he was standing his ground for the truth that people are saved by grace alone through faith alone and in Christ alone that word alone matters Right? Uh, October 31st, some people are going to celebrate Halloween. I'm going to celebrate the Reformation. Right? Why? Because that's way cooler. And if you don't know that story, get to know that story. Hang around me, I'll tell it to you. He understood that there were things worth dying for, and the gospel was at the top of that list. And he knew that. So, regardless of, of what others may say, Or what may even seem culturally acceptable. The gospel remains the power of God to deal with the penalty, the power, and eventually the presence of sin. Therefore, it's worth giving your life to. It's worth giving your life to. And that's what Paul's doing. And that's what I pray as a church we would do. So would you look again with me. I've got two points. It doesn't mean it's going to be a quick sermon. Um, It just means buckle in. So the first point is this. And it's, we're in Galatians 2, 1 through 5. This is the first point. Gospel freedom, preached, proven, and preserved. And, and I think you'll see that here, okay? I'm going to read the first five verses again. He says, Then after 14 years I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately, before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles The freedom and the liberty that's found in the gospel was, was at stake in this moment, in this fight, right? Notice, notice he says, because false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ. Why? So that they might bring us into slavery. That's why they came. That's what they were seeking to do. And these opponents, these false brothers, or, or what you would hear as Judaizers, right? That's the word. We're insisting that Gentile believers, non-Jewish people that just came to faith in Christ must be circumcised to be a part of the people of God. Yes, believe in Jesus, but now be circumcised. And okay, you might be thinking, I don't even understand that. I had my kids circumcised. Is that a problem? Okay, no. No, but here's a little context for you. According to the Old Testament, circumcision was required to be a part of God's family. This matters, right? Those who refused circumcision did not belong to God's covenant people. So that's why this is such a big thing. The battle happening here was that some Jews who believed in Jesus as Messiah were insisting that Gentile believers would be required to receive circumcision and to observe the law of Moses in order to be saved. So it's a dividing moment. In every context throughout the book of Galatians, including here, by the way, freedom, when the word freedom is used, right, what that means is freedom from the law. And, and I don't mean the moral law. I don't mean the Ten Commandments. I'm saying the dietary laws. I'm talking about circumcision and all these different things that you did that, re, that, that pertain to cleanliness. Okay? That's what he's meaning. More specifically, bondage exists when circumcision and law is required for salvation. And that's the whole point of what, what Paul's fighting for. Those who add to the gospel essentially are trying to shackle us, is what Paul's saying. They're in order to control us, and he'll have no part of it. They were teaching a Jesus plus something else gospel, and it's a damnable gospel. And Paul would have nothing to do with it. You should have nothing to do with it. You can see how they got here, though, right? I mean, if you really, if you, if you understand the Old Testament, you could, you could understand the confusion that's essentially happening here. The, the first Christians were Jewish, right? They were Jewish. They were Jewish people. Jesus was Jewish, right? The Old Covenant was all about Jewish people, right? Christianity was a messianic movement that for, it was foretold in the Old Testament of the one who was going to come for his people, which they said Jewish, And since Jews had always demanded that the Gentile converts be circumcised to adhere to the the rituals of what were being said in the Torah and to be accepted within the community, it was probably very difficult for them to understand the sudden change. And so that's the the argument that's happening. And and you need to feel that tension. But you might be sitting here thinking in in, the year 2021, all right, dude, um, cool story, bro, but I don't see any Judaizers hanging out in Greensburg, so what's the big deal, and why should I care, right? I, I eat shellfish. I love Jesus, right? And, and so, so what? I didn't come here for a history lesson. Why does this matter to me? And that's a great question. I'm glad you asked that. Because the answer to that question is, is the heart of the passage of what's going on. What's the heart of the passage? How a person gets saved is of extreme importance. That's why it's important. That's why it's so important for you to understand. What's required for a person to be made alive in Christ is the question. To to be the people of God. And and this is what Paul is fighting for. Are the things that you have to do, right, correct to clean yourself up before you come to God, before he'll save you? That's essentially being asked here. The, The answer to that question is Paul's saying, absolutely not. No, right? He couldn't be more clear. The gospel is a message about what God has done to save sinners through the sacrificial death of of Jesus and the triumphant resurrection of Christ to, to putting your faith and your trust in all that he's done in his perfect life and death and resurrection. That's it. It's faith. Trusting in Christ, trusting in His perfect life in your place, His perfect death in your place. And when you put, and you're going to hear this heavy next week, when you put your faith and trust in Christ by grace, what you receive is forgiveness of all your sins and a righteousness that you had nothing to do with. It's the perfect righteousness of Christ. So you have been pardoned of all your sins and you have a perfect, spotless record. You stand before the throne of grace, fully forgiven, fully loved, fully justified once forever for all until the day you die and are resurrected to a new glorified body. That's the gospel. Amen. That's the gospel. And this is what Paul's fighting for. So you can see, I hope, that, that it's, it's absolutely imperative that he fought here. But Paul is not, he, he's working hard to preserve the integrity and the clarity and the purity of the gospel. That's what's happening. This is why the Apostle Paul went up again to Jerusalem, this time taking an entourage, right? You see that? Make no mistake about it, though. Paul was not going up because he needed validation or he wanted to check in with the mothership. And he wanted to make sure that the big three would say, good job, and pat him on the back. That's not what's happening here. Paul knew his gospel was from the Lord Jesus Christ. He literally just got done saying in chapter one that if I come and say something different to you, then to hell with me and my message. If an angel comes and he says something different than what I'm saying to you, then to hell with that angel and their message. So he's not gone to the big three to say, do I got it right? It's not what he's doing. It says 14 years later. So, so why is he going? That's a good question that we need to answer. It says he went up because of a revelation. What was that revelation? I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But he also understood there was an extreme importance for the big three, the pillars, Peter, James, John, to agree with the gospel that he proclaimed for the sake of unity and for the sake of freedom. And therefore he said, okay, some of you guys say you're coming from James. You're coming down here for James. You're going to the churches, cleaning up my message from James. Let's go find out. That's why he went. He went because he wanted to find out, is that accurate? And so he goes and he sits down with them. Think about it. If the the pillars or the the big three, the apostles, those who walked with Jesus, disagreed with the word that was being preached and taught by Paul, the gospel essentially would would still be true, but his efforts, right? If they were saying, Paul, your message is garbage, then, then he would understand that his work was in jeopardy of being in vain because a sense there's such disunity. And so he wanted to make sure. So he goes up for a private meeting. What's he do? He lays out the gospel of grace. He also brings a walking, talking test case in Titus, right? Don't, don't think he's just there for, for, Hey, cause we're best buds, right? No, he's like, come on, you're coming with me. The reason this is such a boss move, by the way, is because Titus, Right? And, and, and I always, when I'm reading this now, I can't help but think of you, Levi. He is a savage in the best of ways. He brings Titus, who's, by the way, is a flesh and blood, bacon-wrapped, scallop-eating, uncircumcised, gospel-believing, Jesus-loving Gentile. That's why he brings him. There's no doubt. He, notice, they did not break out the flint rock and say, we got to do some business here for for him to be a saved man. That didn't happen at all. This is such a very important part of church history that we need to understand because it affects everything today. Listen, because here's what happened. The false brothers made no headway with Paul and further cemented him with these three with the apostles, and so they went preaching and teaching the gospel with integrity now, right? He always had integrity, but he wanted to go back and make sure that everybody understood he withstood the pressure to circumcise Titus. As a matter of fact, there was no pressure. So these guys are lying to you they're wanting to enslave you. They're secretly sneaking in to put you in bondage of Jesus plus circumcision. Jesus plus don't eat bacon. Right? No, that's nonsense. How do I know that's nonsense? One because my gospel message is true and it's been validated and verified and we're unified on the fact of that truth. That's why he went. It's huge for us today. Because listen, had he caved, had he caved, it it would have been such a distortion and, and possibly even destroyed the, the integrity and the truth of the real gospel message. I don't know. Um, God's sovereign, so he would have no doubt worked that out. But we don't know the ripple effect that that might have had. Because in, in a world where everyone wants to say all religions are true, and Jesus says that's, a, that's a, a lie, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through me. What's the difference of every religion in the gospel and and the religion of Christ or the message of Christ? All other religions focus on what you do or don't do or need to do to get to God. It's all about working your way into this moment where, voila, hopefully he'll accept you. But that's not the gospel. It's not the gospel. It's not impossible. Why? Well, because you and I are all born fallen, sinful, broken, however you want to say that. And to think we can earn our way to a holy, perfect God is is silliness. But I want you to know that that thinking isn't just out there somewhere. It's not just out there somewhere with all the other religions. No, that kind of thinking creeps its way into the mindset of the church. E- even after salvation, sadly, because even today, people are, are seen fighting or or disputing the fact that salvation is by grace alone because we don't like it we don't like it because I can't take any part in it I'm essentially I'm passive I mean I know trust right I know believe but I want to do some things I want to add to my spiritual resume so can't we just have a few of those things no many love to cling to a Jesus plus something else gospel the problem is it's not a gospel it's not good news at all it's just it's it's a lie Sometimes with, without even realizing that you're doing it, it can happen. And, and so I've heard Jesus plus baptism. I've heard that. I've heard, it, I've heard it said from the pulpit. And it's not true. Why be baptized? Because Jesus was baptized and he commands you to be baptized. But it's not in order to be saved. So you, ought you to be baptized as a believer? Yes. If you haven't, we'll gladly dunk you. We're full immersion people, right? We'll wait till it's warmer or we'll get something inside. But we'll figure it out. Jesus plus church attendance. Now, no one says that, but they say that. Why do you come to church? Hopefully, it's because you want to gather with brothers and sisters and worship your God. Not so that he'll say, well, really good job. You got up early and made it. Yay. He's pleased with you because of Christ. I I see it everywhere. How about Jesus plus the King James Bible only? That's a thing. By the way, I'd say those people are cultish. If that's you, I'd say you're cultish. If you say that's my dad, I'd say your dad's cultish. That's insanity. That's insanity to, to say that the King James Bible is the only infallible word of God. Oh, for Pete's sakes, that's, okay, I'm guessing none of you are here. If you are, talk afterwards. Let's, let's have that conversation. Jesus plus voting Republican. Maybe that's closer to home. Right? I've heard, I've heard it. Jesus, plus wearing masks or getting vaccines, or not wearing masks and not getting vaccines. Everywhere you look, everybody wants to add something to the fact that that's what a real Christian looks like. Right there, boom. Oh, I see it, I hear it. But if you and I add anything to the gospel, we lose the gospel. Therefore, we must know the gospel. This goes back to week one. Gospel math works like this, right? So Levi, Bridget, right? I'm not a math person, but you know, you guys are, so you can tell me if this works out. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's not mine. Someone said it. I don't know who said it because everyone says it, but I like it. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. I like that. That's good math. The perfect life, the substitutionary death, the triumphant resurrection of Christ is totally sufficient for those who are under the wrath of God. Trust him. That's what it's saying. You don't have to become Jewish. You don't have to become American. You don't have to become Republican. You don't have to become Democrat or anything else. You just come to Christ. You come to a person and you receive. In other words, you don't have to be a clone of someone else to say you follow Christ. There's freedom. I love that. You don't don't have to be a part of a certain kind of church denomination, worship in a particular way, sing certain songs, remove your piercings, get rid of your tattoos, anything like that. Christ just says, come to me, all who are weak and weary, and I will give you real rest. I am gentle, gentle. And I am lowly. He doesn't put up any dividing walls. He says, you're lost. I'm the way of salvation. Come. And even better, he comes to you. Because dead people don't go to God. The one true gospel message brings freedom. The gospel aims to set us free to be the people God has created us to be. It's a powerful message. It is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. He wants to empower us, not enslave us. Oh gosh, how how often we believe the lie. We we believe the lie that he was trying to keep joy from us. when, When he wants you to have infinite joy in him. But we just we continue, because of our brokenness, to go to all the cisterns in the world and think that we're going to find something that, that will quench the thirst that only he can offer. Jesus says, I am living water. Come to me, anyone who thirsts. I will give you a real drink, that this drink will go to eternal life and from your own heart will spring rivers of living water. He wants to empower us, not enslave us. What believers enjoy if we do not submit to the law is freedom. Freedom to worship, freedom to love, freedom to love God, freedom to love others, freedom to love his bride. This is why, just like Paul, you and I, we must never bend on the truth that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Period. Ever. Ever. And if you start to smell it around here and people bring it out... You just lovingly tell them, we'd love to get to know you more, but that garbage doesn't fly here. It just doesn't, and it never will. As long as I have breath, as long as Kevin has breath, and as long as the core team that the Lord has brought together, unless something just crazy would happen to us, we all get delusional, would never happen here. If it does, well, then to hell with us and our message. It's what Paul said, right? So, so that's the freedom. That's the freedom piece. What about the other piece? Point two, gospel unity established and protected. You're, you're going to see that in six through 10. I'm going to read those verses again, but listen to the flow. Listen to what he's saying. And then let's, let's, jump into it just a little bit more, right? He said, and from those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those I say who seemed influential added nothing to me. That we should go to the Gentiles and to the circumcised. And they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Look at the outcome of the meeting. Look at the outcome of that meeting. I love that Paul was not starstruck by Peter, James, and John. It doesn't mean he doesn't respect them. It doesn't mean he doesn't honor them. He's just not worshiping them. He's not cowering to them. He knows they're just men. Just like himself, right? This really goes back to to chapter 1, verse 10, quite honestly. This whole whole section that we've been in last week, this week goes back to chapter 1, verse 10, where Paul said, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? He said, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So so that's what he's going back to. Why? Because the fame of the apostles never mattered to Paul. Never mattered to Paul. As a matter of fact, he was probably more varsity than they ever would be. If you look at his resume, way more. These guys were fishermen, tax collectors. I mean, this dude was brought up by Gamaliel. I mean, he had all the learning. So he was never impressed with them. He was never like, whoa, these guys. But he did respect them. By the way, God's never impressed by human standing. Ever. Ever. If you just wake up and like click your heels and think, "Boy, well, aren't you you're an awesome, champ?" And gosh darn it, people like you, like Stuart Smiley from Saturday Night Live. Like, you're probably all right, but you're not all that in a bag of chips. You're really not, and and that's good because. Because we love to put ourselves on pedestals and pecking orders, but God creates humans made in his image. Therefore, we all have intrinsic value. Therefore, there is never one human more valuable than another human. This is why, as a people of God, we fight to defend rights, human rights. There's one race, the human race. This is why it matters, because God doesn't show partiality. That's such a good truth to think on. That's a side note. But, but the fame of the apostles never mattered to Paul because Paul understood that the final authority was in the gospel, not human beings. That's what he understood. Paul's gospel was independently true regardless of what they thought. What if they would have disagreed? Does it matter? To hell with you. To hell with your message. And yet, when they were confronted by Paul's law-free gospel, they did not reject it. They confirmed it. They confirmed it. They said, yes. Did we walked with Jesus for three years. Yes, that's it. That's good. That's good. That's right. They recognized that, that they had that they and Paul had been entrusted with the same gospel, and for that reason, they did not require Titus to be circumcised, nor did they add anything to Paul's gospel. That's what he just said. The apostles didn't modify it. They didn't edit it. They didn't trim it. They didn't add to it. They affirmed it. The pillars said, yeah, they did their job they held up the integrity of the message. And therefore, these men could now be united around the gospel. And and chances are, they were already united around the gospel. Because if you remember, Paul had received the message, went away to Arabia for three years. Then he went and saw Peter. He was verifying They were already there, but they needed to verify. Are we still on the same team? Because you guys, listen, I have some people saying, James sent me over here to clarify this message. Did you do that, James? I mean, I'm I'm outside of what the Bible would say now, but it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out, right? This is what he's saying. I don't think he said that, James. Did you say that, James? Because I got Titus here. If, if you think that's what we need to do, let's, let's get this circumcision party going. Although he's going to fight you, so am I. That's what's happening. But, but they said, no, this is good. This is right. I don't know who these false brothers are, but I didn't send them. You can see that if you, if you think about the text. That's exactly what's happening. They realized that they were partners with Paul and with Barnabas in proclaiming the same gospel. They were together for the gospel, right? Great conference, right? That's, it's called Together for the Gospel, where we don't have a lot of things in common. Some people dunk babies. Some people don't dunk babies. You know, some people have a particular worship style. Some people have a different worship style. But one thing we do have in common is the gospel. Therefore, we can come together. We can worship. I love Together for the Gospel. I love the Church Saving Grace, where my, my dear friend Joe Ryer preaches and teaches, and it's not just him. I love their elders. I love their church. Why? Because on Good Friday, they have seven words of Jesus Christ from seven different pastors, and they come together, and in one night, we've got one thing in common, Christ died for sinners. I love it. It's a beautiful picture of unity. And, and listen, they were together for the gospel. They recognized that they had different callings, though. Do you see that in the text? Peter was called to minister primarily to the Jews. Paul was recognized as having a unique calling to the Gentiles, which means non-Jew, right? The early church understood the idea of reaching out to the world. They got it, right? This is something for, since January, going through the book of Acts, our church has been working very hard to understand that we exist to magnify Jesus by making disciples and multiplying churches, right? This is why we get up and, and wake up and enjoy the day. Yes, it's to worship God, but this is how we uniquely worship God as a people. This is what we're about, Right? Well, one of the profound texts in the book of Acts is Acts one eight, when it says this: "But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth." Okay, and we read that text, and and yes, it's geographic, it's location, but it's people, it's people. It's not about a GPS coordinates. It's about that there's different people who don't know the gospel. Therefore, I'm going to give you power. I'm going to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. You need power. Wait, it's coming to go. To go. To go and what? To preach. To make disciples. To plant churches. To see a gospel movement sweep the nations. That's exactly what he's saying. But now, imagine the the enormous complexities that come with this. Imagine it. That comes with bringing the gospel to different cultures. It's, it's, it's amazing if you think about it. The early church understood that Christianity was, was not a commodity to be protected. Right? You've got to get this by keeping people out. Right? That's what I mean by that. It, it's good news that needed to be shared with everyone. It needed to get out in a way that they can understand the message. Right? This is why you would teach seminary grads a different way than you would teach six-year-olds the gospel. Right? We just get this intuitively. This is why, even though, you know, anymore it doesn't seem to be as a thing, but I love VBS because VBS understands contextualization. It understands getting the gospel message to a particular people. Now, if the big church could think like that and how to get the gospel to everybody, we might actually be be moving somewhere instead of trying to get them to a building, right? I'm not, I'm fine with that. The Lord can work through that, no doubt. But we are not a come and see people. We are a go and tell people. That's the New Testament. And so they got this. And and though Peter and Paul were preaching the same gospel, they recognized that there are different ways to go about it. They understood that, right? The, The implication of this, by the way, is that we can and we must adapt, listen, the gospel to different people while maintaining its core components. We must This necessary adaptation to the culture is an example of what's called by by people with pointy heads and big brains contextualization. That's the word, right? So Tim Keller, on this subject, I think he gets right to the heart of it. So I'm just going to read it. There's no reason for me to dance around it. He says this. Listen, sound contextualization means translating and adapting the communication and ministry of the gospel to a particular culture without compromising the essence and particulars of the gospel itself. A contextualized gospel is marked by clarity and attractiveness. And yet it still challenges sinners, self-sufficiency, and calls them to repentance. It adapts and connects to the culture, yet at the same time challenges and confronts it. That's That's a great definition of what we mean when we say we want to work at it. So here at For the City Church, we work hard, we want to work hard, we're seeking to work hard at doing just this. Um, yet knowing that it's the Lord alone who truly changes lives, open hearts through the proclamation of the gospel. We understand that. However, you, we're, we're, we're living in an age where not everybody understands Jonah and the big fishy. Not everybody understands Noah and the archie archie, right? They, they just don't understand that. So when you just throw those words out there, they're like, what, what are you talking about, bro? And, and you need dipped in the blood of the lamb. Well, that's freaky. Is it true? Yeah, but what the heck are you talking about? And and so we can be so strange. By the way, I'm I'm fine if we're strange because we love the gospel and we won't participate in cultural sins. I'm so good with being strange. Call me weirdo number one. I'm not okay with us being so immersed in our church culture that we don't actually see the people that's in the city who have no clue what you're talking about. Oh, so you can pound your chest and get a couple likes or tweets or this. Who cares? Seriously. We're not about that. We're never going to be about that. Ever. We won't. Why? Because Jesus left the 99 to go and save the one. To leave the one. And guess what? He went. Love is compassion that moves us to action. And so that's our church. That's what we want to be. God, help us to do that. Church fam, we should read this passage with great thanksgiving. Honestly, because the purity of the gospel was upheld. The unity of the gospel was established. And it's a beautiful thing. This is at the the heart of the church unity. And, And make no mistake about it. It unites. Unity is of the utmost importance in the Bible in, in the church because it establishes the reliability of the gospel. And it enables us actually to spread it much more effectively. We need to work together, right? Unity, just like freedom, are major themes throughout the book of Galatians and through the Bible, though. Why? Because to have fellowship with Christ means to have fellowship with one another. That's what it means. You're a body, this is why it breaks my heart. And I'm thankful for technology, so don't hear me wrong, but it breaks my heart when people think that when they tune into a YouTube live session, someone preaching, that they're, they're, they're doing church. You don't do church. You It's something you are. You gather. I mean, I guess you could say when you assemble together, that's doing church. Maybe. But it, it matters. We, when we have Community. Now, listen, if you're at home because of health reasons, different things, praise God for technology. This is why we don't have a live feed. You get it Sunday night if Jake gets it up there quick enough. And we don't have it on video because who cares to see me? Faith comes by hearing. <laughs> and if you want to see me, come here. For real. This this matters. And I know I'm picking fights, but they're fights worth picking. Like I told you, there's there's reasons to stand. Unity is not uniformity. It it doesn't mean we just, we're all the same, right? Just wearing the same clothes, doing the same things, saying the same things. That's not what it means at all. Many times, what what makes me sad is far too often we can make too little of Christian unity. Honestly, we, we focus essentially on what divides us right? From fellow believers in the gospel, rather than focusing on Jesus, who has brought us together. And we just fight on these little hills. This past year, by the way, year and a half, two years, I don't know, during COVID-19 pandemic, um, it's been increasingly invisible, the disunity of the church. It, it grieves my heart. It's, it's, by the way, it's to our shame as, as, a, as a people of God um, That I've watched people publicly hammer each other over race, over politics, over masks, over vaccinations, and so much more. Now please don't hear me wrong. Christians will have differing personal convictions, and you should. You should. It matters of culture, life, and practice, So, so I'm not talking uniformity but I am saying the way that we have those debates and discussions ought to be in the, in the stance of humility and love for one another. Far more than winning an argument. It's expected, actually it's even welcomed at our church that, that, that we have these differing views, right? We're not talking uniformity, we're talking unity because unity pleases the heart of God, not uniformity right? This is how you end up with Amish people all wearing the same clothing and, and, right, and gathering around and churning butter together. Well, what if I don't want to wear those clothes? Well, it shouldn't matter because it's not a gospel issue, right? We can have differences and all those things, but you and I must not take gospel unity lightly because our Lord does not take gospel unity lightly. He does not consider it a light thing. Listen to a portion of what Jesus prayed the night before his execution in what's known as his high priestly prayer, okay? I'll be in John 17, 11, 20, and 21, And, and this is what he says, and I am no longer in the world, talking of his disciples but they are in the world he says Jesus says and I'm coming to you holy father keep them in your name which you have given me listen that they may be one even as we are one I do not ask for these only but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world listen, why, why? Why unity? Why? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. I mean, do you see it? You think it's a big deal to Jesus? It's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. True and genuine unity is rooted and grounded in the gospel. Not in peripheral matters, right? Notice, Jesus doesn't just pray for unity and then like hope it happens. No, he literally roots his prayer in this beautiful reality of, of being in relationship with the Father. He brings us in. You're in me, I'm in you, they're in us. It's a, rea- it's a present reality that you and I live in. If you're in Christ, you're unified. You can't, listen, if I cut my pinky off right now, which would be really trippy, and some of you would be like, that would redeem the service, cool, but, and I threw it off the wall, I threw it off the wall, is that a part of my body? No, you could say it used to be, but it's it's not anymore, and so Christ doesn't have these disjointed pieces. Now, there might be disjointedness, but there will be one day when Christ resurrects his bride. And you will be unified. So why not work towards that now? Why? Why is it so important? Because then people can actually see the church shine. You will know my disciples by how they love one another. You can't love one another if you're not unified in loving one another. I love you, but from a distance. right? That song comes to mind. No. No, I, I, I love you. I may not agree with all the things, but if we agree on this, we're good. We're good. I may not worship in the same gathering, and I I think that's good. The church has different expressions of Christ all throughout the world, which is good, by the way. There is no one church that's going to reach the city of Greensburg. We must work together, which, by the way, I'm very thankful for my brothers that have invited me into their friendship, their fellowship. We pray together every other Thursday, and we are united around the gospel, even though I think some of them have bad theology, right? And and I tell them that, because that's what a good friend does, right? Some of them think that you can lose your salvation. I'm like, okay, can Jesus lose sheep? No. Okay, then let's get back to the heart of Christ, not what you can do. And they're like, ugh. And, and they, they fight me on that. But they're wrong, and I get to tell them that when we get to heaven. <laughs> do you get it? For any... For us to have any real potential of genuine gospel unity we must have a profound understanding of our union with Christ. Profound. Which is rooted and grounded in the internal union of the Father and the Son and the Spirit and he invites us into himself. And he he invites he comes into us. That's, That's We must, to understand that, you must understand the gospel, which is why we're going to, I'm going to seek the it in your head and pray that the Spirit puts it in your heart every time we gather. This kind of unity, by the way, is only made possible because we understand the deep and profound love and forgiveness that is found in the good news of Jesus. And Jesus saturates his we, we're going through this book called Saturate, and, and I love it, man. There's this theme, but he saturates all of who we are. And when that happens, all the things that are commanded in the Bible take care of themselves. They really do. If, you, if you're focused on the love of Christ, you will love others. doesn't mean you do it perfectly. You won't. But when you fail, you'll, you'll go to the person and say, I blew it. Aren't we thankful for the, for the love of Christ? Will you forgive me? And that person will say, yeah, why? Because my Lord forgave me. And I know my sin against him was great. The more deeply secure we are in, in, in the cosmic reality of the eternal love of God that's found in Christ, the more that you and I will have love and union with one another. We'll understand our freedom more. We'll understand our unity more. And because of that, we'll be able to show the world a message that will be compelling. Because that's exactly what he says at the end. Why do this? So that they'll know you sent me. It's about the message. It's so that they'll know. Why? Because Christ will be magnified. It's going to happen. You'll either magnify him in his judgment or in his mercy. You do not have a choice. But man, we want, we want Christ to be magnified in his mercy and grace. We want people to realize I was far from God under his wrath. And I deserve Satan, sin, and death. And yet Christ, for no other reason than he is love with flesh on it, came and died for a sinner like me. But don't you see how our squabbles then are so sad? They're So sad. We just draw dividing lines in the sand all day long so it props us up, makes us feel better. God, help us to be a people who essentially builds bridges into the lives of lost people so that they can actually come in to the the family of God and experience grace and forgiveness. There's no place he didn't go. There's no place Christ didn't go. Look who he hung out with. They, They said Jesus was a glutton And a drunkard. You do not get that tagline by hanging out at Chuck E. Cheese and watching Veggie Tales all day. You just don't get it. No, No one ever says that about that guy. You get it because you're hanging out with drunkards and gluttons. But Jesus never sinned. But he went there. Why? Because there was need. Compassion moved him to love. And by God's grace, he'll continue to move us. All right. Church. by, by God's grace, let's make every effort to enjoy the freedom without abusing the freedom. Worship the God who's brought us into his family. Be unified around the things that matter. And seek out to the world who does not know of a love like this. That, that, that's what we're seeking to do here. And so, um, God help us. Will you join me as I pray? And then uh, Kevin's going to come up. We're going to enjoy communion. We're going to sing a few more songs, then we're going to go on about our day, and, um, and you have been sent into the world to tell people that message and to show and display that love. Will you join me in prayer? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the present reality that we stand in, which is that Christ died for sinners, and, and by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, we enjoy freedom not only freedom from Satan, sin, and death, but freedom to, to enjoy you. <laughs> oh God, I pray that you would just tear down any little dividers that we've put in the way of, of enjoying you. And that Lord, we would, we would fully understand what it means even more deeply of what it means to be in Christ and for you to be in us and for us to be a body. God, may we be a people who I'd, lo- I'd love to say radically love, but actually just love normally like the Bible tells us. Because we should not love our lives e- even to death if we're understanding that to die is gain. So help us to love one another. Help us to love you, to receive the love that's from you, and to give it to one another as we seek to magnify you in our lives and in the city of Greensburg to the end of the earth. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.